everyone. Welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. On today's podcast, we're excited to welcome Steve Sanders, who is a marketing strategist, entrepreneur, and the author of a new book, Five Horizons. Steve, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about who you are and why you're on this podcast today. Hi. Well, Saskia, first of all, thank you for in, uh, involving me and in, inviting me to speak. Well, thank um, you for having us. Yeah, I, I, I've spent my life in the uh, confines of management consultancies, big IT companies, startups. I've worked in small, medium, large and very, very large government departments and companies and uh, with entrepreneurs. So I've got a range of experience. And what I've done is uh, in recent years, um, realized that the, uh, that the topic of sustainability uh, and resilience in society is far more important than this, this, uh, in this constant focus on growth and profit. Uh, so I've turned my attention to that in terms of how we can activate the business community to, to make a difference um, in, in the sense of, uh, of that. So, so um, Five Horizons, the book, I'm, I'm just generally explaining to people what it means, raising awareness and, uh, and hopefully it'll, uh, it'll gain some traction and make an impact. So that's, uh, it's, it's great to be talking to you and your listeners today. Can you tell us about your path to becoming a global citizen and how this has impacted your sustainability? sustainability journey well yeah i mean my, in terms of my youth i lived in in multiple countries i was i was in uh, america uh, california uh, which is different to america right it's okay california i was in the uk i was in johannesburg and and then when i grew up i, I basically i've worked and done business in more than 20 countries so i think inherently that plus my sense of high curiosity you know i tend to try and learn a little bit from everyone I meet. And when I, when I find people are like that, people I know, they tend to be more interesting and you evolve. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, I'm married into families of different cultures and uh, the, the kind of transformations that I've done, my work has involved me in, I think we worked out 14 major transformation programs over the years. And, uh, and that tends to affect the client's whole competitive market dynamics. Um, so, so as a result of that, I've, I've grown attuned to stuff that people don't normally grow attuned to from all these different countries and cultures and societies. And I think that's, that's resulted in me you know, drawing the conclusion at the end of it that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not any one of those things. I'm, I'm a composite of them. And I realized actually that we're all, although we might think of ourselves in an individualistic way, we're actually all part of one living, breathing human organism. And I call that the global human organism. So I feel more comfortable thinking about what I'm doing in life in the sense of that I'm just, just a, a part of this, this you know, global humanity. Um, and it removes boundaries and borders from my thinking. And it allows me to actually think about the big subjects and how that affects businesses and how that affects big sort of uh, topics of sustainability and resilience. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how that's really shaped, shaped me along the way. Yeah, I could I could see that having an effect, even although I've not lived the, the extraordinary life that you have. Having left my small village and going to university um, in the city and then moving on to London, it's such a change. You realise that you, you realise that you aren't anywhere near as important as you thought you were. And the world is so much bigger and there's so many more people and there's so much so much more important things out there. And it really does impact your way of thinking. So I can see that. I think, yeah, and we, you know, the, the thing is, though, that you mentioned that we're so much, 
smaller and but I do believe still that individuals can have an impact you know then that's the whole thing when you when we realize that we're a small cog in a massively complex global system that hits you right because you transition from a point or if we ever leave this behind where we think we're all important I mean if we're all honest with it we think the world revolves around us as individuals right we think that we're we're that we're actually the center of our own little universe but then when it comes to the big things the big issues we sort of somehow doubt that we can have any real effect um uh, so so you know but the reality is the evidence uh, is that when it comes to the big parts of life and we sit around waiting for some distant source of genius or control to to do something that will then set our course in reality, we should realize that those great leaders are not the source of the great genius. Far from it, actually. They do design what happens next, but that only happens because of ideas that originate from individuals. And it's those ideas that spread and they get amplified and they get passed around from people and then other people make it their message. And, and you know, so even each individual just talking to each other, coming up with ideas and having the courage to do something about amplifying those ideas. I'm I'm a very strong believer in the power of individuals. And I don't want people to lose that power when they realize their smallness, because there's something beautiful about the humility that your smallness gives you, but the empowerment that you have when you realize that when you're the part of everyone else, you can influence them, right? We're only six degrees of separation removed from any human being in the world. And I know that there's ideas I've created that have been adopted by others and anonymized. So nobody says that there were Steve Sanders ideas. I'm not on a Wikipedia page or anything with the credits for all the things that I've done, but my ideas have now formed into new norms in the lives of others and in other communities. And an example of this was I found myself three levels removed from Trump at one stage because of a job that I took, a conversation I had with my big program sponsor, who was a colleague with a person on the strategic advisory board of, of President Trump. And, and there were ideas that I'd put on the table that were being discussed directly with foreign dignitaries in the presence of the, of the president and his, his advisors. So, so you have to realize that, yeah, that, that journey from being a small individual and sometimes catastrophizing over things that are going on in the world, there are things that, you, you know, your bright ideas really do, really do make a difference, uh, and you, whether you see that directly or not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Can you tell us whether the ideas that got passed on to Trump, were they used or not? Or is that classified? Um, it is. Uh, it is. I'm, I'm, I have put a lot of work into uh, avoiding uh, getting political. Mm-hmm. But you do you do see some people that are resistant to new ideas and others that are more um, open and embracing of them. Um, so it's questionable whether those ideas will surface uh, from the lips or the deeds of that particular person in the next 5, 10 or 15 years of his life. Um, and to an extent, isn't that true of everyone? Because we have this, this gray supercomputer in our heads that absorbs everything, right? And then it comes back out again as though we invented it ourselves. Uh, maybe 10 years from now, right? You sit down there with a problem and you might one day be, I don't know, research and development director of, of, a, of a small company, right? In one day in 10 years time. And from your blob of gray matter comes a spark. You don't realize that that was put in there by somebody 10 years ago. 
listening to a podcast, right? Um, but but it but it did, and it doesn't matter, right? So honestly, who knows if it if it influenced anything? I uh, I think the subject that was being discussed at the time was one of solving the global food uh, uh, shortage over the next fifty years with with one of my big um, big clients that I was. I was leading the integration of one of the biggest um, agri sciences companies with with a company they'd they'd acquired, and and there was there were innovations in there that could really increase productivity of crops without using the genetic modifications, um, and and it was you know it's a pretty complicated thing. So I have no idea how far that went either with the president or his or his uh, advisors. But one thing's for sure that it was discussed. So, so there's evidence, really, more than anything else, of the, of the of the six degrees of separation. And and if you let go of your ego for a moment and imagine, I'm going to share my ideas, right? I'm going to put them out there. My book just happens to be a vehicle that I hope at least a couple of hundred people read. Um, and and who knows? One of the ideas they might poo-poo ninety percent of it, but one of the ideas might get in there and resurface. In a few years, as being something meaningful, and and that's really all we should care about. If we're if we're truly global citizens, um, and truly believe of ourselves as being part of the global human organism, then that virtuous circle benefits everybody, and we should just do it, right? Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see, but I hope so. And <laughs> about your book, Five Horizons, um, can you tell us a bit more about this? So, who you spoke about trying to reach pretty much everyone. Who do you think the, say, the top three individuals in the world that you would like to re- read your book? Yeah, well, yeah, you picked up on that reaching everyone. I think it's, it's important. I, wa- I wanted the ideas in the, the book to reach everyone or, who does or desires to make an impact through business. And if the, you know, to have an interesting career and to succeed, not just by making a profit, but you know, standing out for something more important. And that's it, really. I believe the ideas in the book will find their own pathway, yeah, organically. Initially, sure, I had in mind senior execs in medium-sized businesses or divisions of larger companies, and, and that might be where it sticks. But it seems to now be attracting young graduates, MBA students, startup entrepreneurs, activists, even teenagers um, in, in high school and, and, and college education are, are grabbing the ideas um, and, you know, so we, we see people who want to be business people and who want to do well for themselves by doing good for others or for, or for the good, greater good. The three people I'd like to, and I know you, you, I was prepared for that question. You, you people can tell I was. So thanks for warning me because I had to put some thought into this. Um, but I, I, I do, I would say there's a, there's a chap called Achim Steiner. And uh, he is the the chair of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals uh, body, and he's the administrator of the UN Development Program. And it's because I'd like this maybe to help him see how, in more real terms, that the UN SDG aims can be mobilized now through the strategy of 200 million businesses. Because my, my belief is, and it's embodied in the book, is that you've got a couple of hundred governments around the world and I don't know what you think about politicians and civil servants, but, you know, give it five, 10, 15 years, they might stumble across a few useful solutions and make it happen. If you try to appeal to sort of billions and billions of people to change, that's very difficult. But if you talk about business people and the competitive forces, I think the SDGs are most likely to be, become manifest in the competitive strategy of companies. 
So we'll get to that maybe in, in a later part of the conversation. Um, so that, that's the one person I think it would be wonderful if they could get their heads around that, translate that somehow. The next one, yeah, it might not surprise you, uh, Greta Thunberg, but it's not for the, you know, that sounds like an easy choice, right? But I actually only mentioned Greta because she, although she's divisive and, and, and I run the risk of, of being attached to one perception of her or, or another, but I think she's done a really good job of amplifying the issues and creating a culture of protest around the issues, which has been good visibility, but I'd like to see her turn attention to all the businesses of the world in a positive and constructive way with the tools that they can use to decide what they'll do about the issues that she's magnified. And to recognize that it's those 200 million businesses that will, can and should be the ones that, that are instrumental in achieving whatever change is required to resolve the issues. And then surprisingly, there's one person, and you probably won't know this person's name, unless you've been irritated by one of his articles or enjoyed one of his articles, maybe. But uh, his name is Brendan O'Neill, and he is a leading voice of skepticism. So he reports in The Sun, in The Australian. He's been on Sky TV, BBC, and usually he's poking holes into woke culture, the trans movement, and, and various other well-intentioning uh, movements. And what he, he tries to stand for is what he calls free thinking and free living. So I'd love a man like that to embrace the idea that, that, that there's something that they could propose and buy into that focuses on empathy rather and collectivism rather than just free living just from a selfish perspective, but freeing up the solution into the global community that, so, that, so that, that it can change through people desiring to do something better in the world and for the world. So that is maybe a surprising choice. But I think if you can win somebody over like that, that could be very powerful. Yeah, yeah, very good point. It doesn't sound like necessarily a bad thing that I've not heard about this author. Although now you have definitely interested me to do some research. In the book, what exactly are you discussing? Are you giving advice, suggestions, guidance? What exactly are you talking about? So, so I think both, um, you know, advice and, and guidance is required as to how people can do something about this in business. But also there needs to be justification of why uh, to change. Both of those things are needed at the same time. And, um, and I don't mean really just saying that, that these issues exist. Um, the reality is that, it, that, that any strategy or any spending is always challenged for a compelling reason why that strategy should exist or that, that spend should happen, that investment. And, and doing something right from a sustainable resilience, ethical perspective, it will cost money, right? It, it's a strategic choice to do that rather than something else. Um, and, and you need to show business impact evidence. You need to show evidence that it's urgent, right? Not just important, and everybody accepts it's important, but it needs to be urgent. So, so that's needed. It's always needed before change happens. So yes, I think the difference in this book is that we're showing the issues that everybody should already know about, and some of them they don't. But then helping businesses to understand and translate that when, when that becomes a compelling competitive factor that they have to act upon, they must act upon. And then, of course, we give them a means 
to plan and put that into action, exactly what they aim to do about it in the form of purpose-led strategy or principles oriented about the issues that matter most at a human level to these, you know, the future employees and customers uh, of, of each business. Uh, because that's really where you're going to see the after effects of these choices. The choice to do something or the choice to sit on your hands and wait is going to show itself on what customers choose to do with their money and what employees choose to do with their time and energy. Uh, yeah. Would you say that this guidance is applicable to any form of business or is it a specific type of business that you think is more applicable to? Good question. Honestly, uh, I was sitting in the supply chain technology supply chain council in, in Wolverhampton, and there are a lot of owner-managed businesses in attendance. I've been invited to give a keynote, and I decided to do it because I, I wanted to get this message across to small business owners. And there was a chap in the audience who said, you know, I'm a small, I'm a small business. Does this really make a difference to me? And I said, well, it's not about you imagining that you can... Uh, uh, affect things that are uh, unrelated to your business. Um, there are things, however, that you do affect because you do make products and you do buy things from people and you do sell to people. So even as a small business, you are going to be able to find things that are important to the people who are buying your products, uh, regardless of whether that's waste plastics, human rights, gender issues, race issues, right? And if you identify those factors that are becoming increasingly important, it can increase your attractiveness to, uh, to buyers and employees, okay? That's the fundamental thesis here that, that's being proposed. So that idea applies to any and all organizations, be they businesses or public sector. Um, interestingly, the uh, public sector and the National Health Service in the UK have lost 500,000 employees recently. And they have 100,000 vacancies in the NHS, National Health Service, and 100,000 in, uh, in public sector, government organizations. And that's a huge brain drain and a huge gap. And one of the big reasons for people moving on was because they wanted more of a sense of meaning uh, in their lives. They wanted to feel more fulfilled, those jobs and those organizations were not providing anything by way of greater purpose that they felt satisfied their human desire to be meaningful. Um, the reality is that what's changed is that new alternatives have become available for them. And that's why they're no longer putting up with what it, the way it used to be. So I do think regardless of the size of organization or the type of organization <clears throat> that's, that's uh, asking these questions, the questions are still very relevant. Um, the impact that they can have, sure, you know, that becomes relevant um, as, a, as a discussion point because clearly larger organizations have more of an immediate impact. If a large organization is deciding to apply the Five Horizons lens or viewpoint on all of their suppliers so that they can prove that their suppliers' value chain and the suppliers that they use and their value chain has um, vulnerabilities or issues that are being addressed, okay, and how they those things are being addressed. So these big organizations can have a very large knock-on effect. 
uh, through the ecosystem that, that serves them. And then if they turn their attention similarly to the customer side, they can look for opportunities to make a positive impact or to remove negative impacts that exist through, the, through the, uh, the, the supply chain down into their customers. If you are a small organization, you could cause reverberations in your competitive environment by satisfying a need that nobody else is satisfying. It's a, a desire that might exist for a more sustainable or resilient alternative. And as soon as you educate your consumer market or your business customer market, and they see actually, yes, that is quite important. Why is nobody else doing that? Sarah over there with her small startup is doing it. Why don't we reward that, right? Let's reward that. Let's, let's see if we can bring them along. So, so I think, yes, this, this will manifest in the minds of people in different organizations of different sizes and types in different ways, and it'll have different levels of effect. But I, I have no, uh, no doubt whatsoever that it's relevant as a thought process to all of them. I feel like this comes back to what we were discussing earlier about how remembering that every individual can have an impact. So mm. no matter how large or small the business or large or small the change, it's still important and necessary. That's quite right. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting line of conversation uh, for a dinner party. I mean, I, I or for going out for drinks, because uh, there's two camps of 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 people who, when I explain what this is about, I get this reaction that is either, well, of course, you know, this is what we're waiting for, right? We want a better alternative so that we can see things happening in a better way. And then that's that. Those are the guys we're going to give our money to, right? Those are the people who are going to make profit from us from spending our money. And I want to work for my, my son just left a whole, you know, his whole education was in a certain discipline. And he decided to leave a job because the, the only purpose that existed in that job, the only meaning was to create profit for the shareholders. They had failed to create a sense of purpose that was appealing to his generation or to him as an individual. And as a result of that, he went and he found something that he would do with his life that gave him a sense of personal uh, reward and, 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 and purpose and meaning. It's, it's one surefire way to depress people in life is to expect them to exist just for a salary and without any sense of meaning. Uh, and if you can help them find that and provide a connection to, to that, then that is very, very powerful as a motivator. And, and that's going to you know, establish loyalty and, and keep that loyalty. So that you're, you're very, it's, it's very, very, the other camp of opinion I come across when I talk about it is some, somebody who starts the sentence with yes, but. And I, I understand what's going to happen then because yes, but always points towards there needs to be someone else who's, you know, it needs to be a change to the laws, Steve. It needs to be, I mean, what's this Five Horizons thing is very nice, but it's only ever going to be a regulator or a law or a, an, or some, or a big organization that changes everything. And I just say, well, no, of course, that's just ludicrous, right? That's, you couldn't be more wrong. I mean, otherwise, you know, why do startups change the world, right? What, why did the, the people at the very top of the investment market now, the investors we're talking about that are putting money into companies looking for the next billion-dollar unicorn, right? They are saying that the next unicorns are not going to be your typical dot-com businesses or techie as-a-service things. It's going to be businesses that are formed with a purpose to resolve, you know, the carbon neutrality issue or sustainability issues that are built by design to have a purpose. 
and they will become the billion dollar unicorns. So, so and, but they have to start somewhere, right? So, so, and that start point comes from individuals, comes from ideas. And uh, it becomes a gravitation point for other individuals who buy into those ideas. So I, I'm a very, very big believer in that, yeah. Yeah, very thought provoking. It makes me think about the purpose of my own career. <laughs> well, you've worked on something worthwhile, haven't you, with this podcast is a, a great move. Well, hopefully, that, <laughs> hopefully, even if it just provokes a thought in one person's head, it's, it's worth something. So the name of your book is Five Horizons, How to Succeed in the Age of Stakeholder Capitalism. What is stakeholder capitalism? What do you mean by this? So, I mean, the, the overall definition of stakeholder capitalism is it's a quote, right? It's a system in which companies are oriented to serve the interests of all their stakeholders and not just the shareholders. Um, but typically that gives rise to a whole range of objections from pure capitalists, as I would call them. Those, are, those who argue that that's basically strangling entrepreneurship. If you, if you encumber people with a requirement to, to look after all of the stakeholders. So stakeholders are basically, you could, there is a list uh, if you search, but the you know, different stakeholder groups, the communities that you affect, the employees of your suppliers and their suppliers, their stakeholders of your business, the uh, the the, um, the suddenly your employees, the government, the general public. I mean, if you run your company and then put the legal entity in a different country so you don't have to pay tax on your profits, uh, that affects the general public in the country where you operate. Um, so the, these are all the stakeholders of the business, and if you make a commitment to stakeholder capitalism. You're making a commitment to doing what's right. You're know, serving the, the needs and the um, aspirations and the and the um, imperatives that affect all stakeholders. Um, so, I, in my view, the creation of limited companies originally allowed for entrepreneurs to be protected from the risks of their ventures, and it set rules that meant that they are them still are duty bound to look after investors. And I don't think that should change. So, this move to stakeholder capitalism isn't saying you don't have to look after the interests of your shareholders, but I do want to point out that shareholders of the future will definitely lose out unless their investments are in companies that visibly and demonstrably take care of all the side effects of their business on the businesses and the community and the natural ecosystems that they affect. So, so to me, in this coming era, Stakeholder capitalism is just common sense capitalism, right? And it just increases the chances of business survival uh, in the competitive world where stakeholder capitalists will be more appealing to investors, they'll be more appealing to employees and customers. And it also therefore leads to increasing the profits for the shareholders by being principles led and, and purpose led. So that's, so that's how I deal with the, with the question, the whole subject and topic of stakeholder capitalism. Thank you. You spoke about being purpose-led. How can organizations become purpose-led? How can they weigh up being ethical and financial? Is there a trade-off? So uh, any business can look more closely at how you affect the things that people care about um, most deeply. And it's, it's difficult to do this thoroughly by... Um, 
thinking about my ecosystem because that's that's the phrase people usually use my business ecosystem because what is that right so we ask people to study five horizons of interconnected um, value chains uh, not their only and not only their own value chain but but those of the suppliers and the suppliers suppliers and customers and their customers customers that makes up your ecosystem and then to find and um, decide what you're going to do about the vulnerabilities and opportunities out there. And then to plot that into five time horizons representing the here and now and, uh, and the future. And to take your time then deciding when and how to use that as, a, as, as um, you know, inputs to establishing competitive differentiators and to attach those principles and purpose to build brand value. And it's as a result of that, if you, if you are using and working with the people in your environment, these are people in those suppliers and people in those customers and people in your own organization. And I'm talking here not just about the core team that you might know and work with every day. I'm talking maybe about people who might be uh, non-conformist, you know, those, those outliers with opinions that you might just say, there's an outlier opinion. It doesn't represent the mainstream. That's just somebody with ideas about the way things could be. But actually what those outliers represent is just somebody who's courageous enough to speak up about an idea or an opinion that's already probably nearing the mainstream critical mass. It's just that you know nobody's embraced that yet and made it into a strategy. So the, the argument, therefore, is to really consider not in a... a not in an overly uh, flagrant fashion and, and overly generous, but to really study that and say, how important is this factor to the people who are making the buying choices and people who are choosing where they work? And what benefit is likely to result from us attaching ourselves to that and making sure that we do something about it? Ultimately, I think that through that process, businesses can actually establish a clear line of sight between now and the imperfect present moment Right, they're totally uh, um, uh, in some organizations totally corrupted, but in most organizations it's imperfect. And let's let's accept that, and say so that at some point over five time horizons we will reach some somewhere, and we'll be able to show evidence that we have have a plan afoot that will resolve the vulnerabilities, the the harm that's being done. We'll find and leverage opportunities to to do better in that whole environment, so that we will be able to stand up above the others. And that is what will lead to market share growth. That is what will lead to the loyalty of customers and, and employees and increased profits. And I think that the journey from here to there is going to be a lot quicker. I mean, this is my, my strategic advisor hat on, is when will that tipping point be reached? I think we've already reached the tipping point. I think we already have enough of a critical mass of people who care about these things and would actually respond to new alternatives coming available that are more ethical and resilient and sustainable. It's just those alternatives aren't there yet, right? And so realistically, it's about finding those aspects of, of, of business where you can appeal to those, those issues and those needs and act upon it now or at some point over the, over the next horizons to establish the growth and profitability that you deserve from doing the right things. So on this topic, there's a lot of talk about making changes by 2030. But I actually read an article the other day um, where NASA scientists said that really we only have 
until about 2025 to make change. Otherwise, the human race is pretty much doomed. Do you think that we will be able to make these changes in time? Can you see the momentum being quick enough? Um, well, there's, there's one principle that I always tell people, and that is this the story of the virtuous triangle of three act, forces acting upon uh, um, shifts like this. And they all have to pull in the common direction, and, but they don't always start at the same time as each other. Um, the one is customers and, and, and uh, consumers and markets. Um, the other is businesses and their ecosystems. And the third is governments and, and regulators. Okay, so those global or local regulators. Um, so if you look at the issue of fracking, as an example, um, and recently there are five petrochemical and fracking companies who have tried to sue their governments and regulators for billions of, of, of dollars because they were upset that the regulations changed after they'd made investments in an unsustainable and environmentally unsound business model. Uh, and there was no, at the point a few years ago, there was no indication governments would have pulled the plug on that until they responded to the business ecosystem and the consumers and markets applying pressure. Okay, so this is a formula that you could, you could look for precise mathematical causality, but I'm not really interested in that. I, I just want to uh, visualize the, the presence of these forces and to say, okay, well, um, I am not, uh, in the first place, I'm not a scientist that can agree or disagree with NASA. Okay. I do know that the human being, however, is a problem-solving mechanism. I also know that we're all aware of these problems. Most of us are aware of different aspects of the problems that exist in the world but that the danger is not close enough yet to those people who we care about. And that is the people of 50 to 150 people who are closest to us, each of us as individuals. Those problems and the pain consequence of those problems is very, very quickly getting closer to the people we care about. And the problems are gonna be various, military conflict, uh, financial collapse, house price collapse from spiraling inflation, economic instability, crops bursting into flames in the middle of England, you know, things like that, right? So these consequences are going to start coming closer to home. And it's happening very, very quickly. People respond to that quicker and more urgently than they do to theoretical projections of the issues. So you've got to realize that there is a human dynamic at play here where the pressure being exerted by the virtuous triangle, those three forces, has not been sufficient. The United Nations Secretary General was, was interviewed a couple of months ago, and he basically, well, he didn't basically, he actually did say the governments have been lying and big businesses have been lying. Um, and they've just been delaying the inevitable change that has to happen for solutions to become manifest. Uh, and, and to become materializing in, in the world. So, so it's, it's evident that a lot more pressure is required and a lot more urgency is required. I do not think that catastrophizing helps. I don't think that giving up helps because the human beings are problem-solving mechanisms and we will solve this problem, right? It's not the end. 
But people need to understand that the end is sufficiently close to people that they care about before they'll be mobilized to change. And change can mean, will you take an extra 10% income tax and stop having luxurious holidays in uh, where you have to fly around the world twice a year, uh, but instead have that money reinvested in developing a carbon neutral infrastructure for your, for your country? Maybe five years ago, you wouldn't have accepted a 10% tax increase. Maybe in five years, you will. Okay, so that, those are the sort of factors that will all be interplaying until we reach the point when the human problem-solving mechanism really does kick into overdrive. And that is not all about grand, grand innovators coming in with big ideas to remove carbon from the atmosphere. However, those innovators do exist, okay? Um, it's not about packaging being completely reinvented with plastics re replacements that are made from seaweed and, uh, and, and waste. Uh, but those innovations do exist. But what it is, is a, is a movement in all of those three forces that needs to be driven with far more urgency than it would be if the problem was remote and on an island in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere or in an African country. It has to affect people that we, as animals, as human beasts, that we relate to our immediate circle. And we're starting to see that now, right? I think the, the dawning and the realization that the proximity of danger and the proximity and timing of pain is very immediate to those people that we care about most. And the people who are making decisions in society, the younger generations who are paying income tax, putting voter pressure onto their politicians, and who are willing to either forgive or contribute towards the additional taxes those consumers who will no longer forgive the wrongdoing of businesses just because, hey, we needed to make a profit. You understand? Oh, yeah, sure. You needed to make a profit. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you made a mistake. You poisoned a few you know, billion liters of seawater, but yeah, yeah, you needed to make a profit. People are just not going to tolerate it anymore, right? And so it's a combination of all of those factors that will drive the combined energy in the right direction. I am not a person who subscribes to does that, uh, catastrophizing. I don't like listening to it uh, because I think it's an unproductive instinct that we suffer from, is that uh, it is like asking for a great leader somewhere to solve all of our problems with some source of great genius. That doesn't exist. That's just our way of deflecting responsibility for doing something ourselves. I'm a believer that if I'm going to fix anything in the world, I have to do it myself. And maybe others will join me, right? And, uh, and that, that's what I think uh, that philosophy needs to continue, because I think it exists in many different parts of the world. And, you know, and, and people are going to jump on the bandwagon. That's, that's my, my positive outlook. Yeah, I like the, the optimism in, in something that could be extremely negative. So I think that's good. We, we do need that. Um, I'm just conscious of the time. Is there anything you'd like to touch on what, out of what we've got left? Is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about? Well, it's just a couple of things that I'm, I'm doing at the moment. I think it's spinning off from this. You know, this started as a project to try and figure out something that could help people I know in the business world. And, and it, it was never meant to be what it is now, but it became what it is. Because honestly speaking, I, I came upon this as being what people need right? in order to make a difference in their business world and, and in order to differentiate and stabilize their businesses and, 
you know, so this this sort of package of strategy tools and and insight into how to motivate shareholders to invest money in in solving certain things. This this is what it became. So this is what it is, right? So it's creating a a, a bit of a fermenting um, a network of people that are getting more and more interested in it. Yeah, and I really want to encourage that. So uh, it's not a, it, you know it's not about me making a fortune out of this because that that is that is secondary. Um, what I'm going to be turning my attention to is putting um, online some resources, um, uh, enabling people to, if you like, develop a do-it-yourself or, um, yeah, a way, equipping people to get their heads around some of this. Maybe the book is enough, but I think that the, the, there will be some un, um, um, online resources published over the coming weeks that could be useful and should be. Um, and, and then from within that, the, there seems to be a, a group of people that want to get together into communities, peer groups, that help each other to brainstorm how to work on these things. So I'm going to be encouraging that as well. I think to, I'd ask people to uh, to join the community, to uh, to look up the FiveHorizonsBook.com website and and register to just to be involved. Uh, and you'll be told about what becomes available and what opportunities there are out there. And uh, I'm trying to, well, I'm not trying. Well, I end, I've ended up in the middle of a a network of people that are doing great things. I mean, they are just, there are people out there doing absolutely amazing things, ranging from Japanese motor car companies to 24 year old entrepreneurs that have graduated from material science in, in London through to all, you know, there's all kinds of people that are doing interesting things that I want others to know about. It's inspiring. So I'll be um, uh, sharing that through my LinkedIn newsletter that is going to be going out it'll be online and stuff so it's probably just a good idea to get into and part of the community if you're interested in this type of thing uh, and i'm sure that there are other communities out in your part of the world wherever you are that you might choose to to join them but i would just ask people never doubt the difference individuals can make right i grew up in a very deprived area of britain in fact one of the 10 most deprived areas of britain in a single parent family and we had no professional experience and we had no um, uh, uh, university education in my family background. So I had to deal with social mobility and uh, generational shift and an economic crisis and everything like that. And I eventually you know, worked my way through just doing the best I could. And I'm now a fellow of the Institute of Directors. I, I guest lecture on, on an MBA program at, at Warwick Business School. I'm being invited to lecture on a, on a doctorate of business administration program. Uh, I, I help migrants and I mentor migrants with uh, professional development capability uh, opportunities. And I'm doing all kinds of things that are, are geared around making a difference in people's lives. Do I think that I'll make uh, that I'll change the world? I don't have to. I think that the, I think humanity will change the world for the better. And it's my belief in that that keeps me going. And I think should keep all of us going and moving in the right direction with, with as much energy as possible. Yeah, that's a fantastic message to round off this episode. Um, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. This has been such a fantastic episode, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Saskia. It's been great meeting you and, and talking with everybody uh, remotely. And I just want to say, you know, good luck. Um, believe in a better future and um, believe in your ability to make a difference, because uh, you will. As usual, thank you so much for listening and please ensure to follow us on Spotify, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook for future updates. Thank you.